You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. It's so good to see you this uh, Christmas season. I don't know if you have purchased those uh, ornaments yet or not, but uh, if you haven't, think about doing that. It goes to support our kids going to camp in the summer. One of the things we've done is we've used it for um, kind of a, a diary of the year. And Annette has taken those. We've had some that go way, way back. And at the end of every year, we just write on there, what happened significantly in our life this year? I mean, what did the Lord do? How did he come through? What has happened in our family? And it's a way that you can turn your Christmas tree into really a, a memorial, in a, a live memorial of what God's up to. Uh, Annette showed me one the other day. She said, I want you to see this one. This is a 2007 and it said, a year for community. And it was in 2007, we made this, I mean, radical decision to just really go all out, go all in for community, and just really come alongside and help our community. And now we look down the road to 11 years, and you have done that in remarkable ways. I mean, reaching community has been at your heart, and I just want to thank you for that, and God is so good when he uses his people to just touch other people's lives. So let's do this today. Before I talk about Jesus, uh, let's talk to him just for a moment. Can we do that? Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we just thank you for the work that you have done and are going to continue to do in our lives. We are so hopeful, and we expect that you will show up, Lord, and I just pray for those that are just dealing with dark moments and dark times in their life, that the light would shine. And in you there is no darkness. We thank you for the light. You're the light of the world. Bring that to us. Shine your light on us. In Jesus' name we pray. We say amen. As a church, we, we love to celebrate Christmas season. It's so worth celebrating. We remember what God has done for us through Jesus. He loves the world and he sent his only son to and whoever believes on him, they wouldn't perish, but they would have everlasting life. And this is such good news. This is amazing news that we get to embrace and celebrate this time of year. And it comes with great joy. And the first Christmas, all heaven celebrated. And we want to do the same. What we want to do is we want to celebrate with heaven. A Savior is born. It is Christ the King. And that you would go through your days and go through your weeks remembering there is joy. And the joy has come to us through Jesus Christ. You might be in a situation where it's hard to find joy, where it's hard to find hope. But know this, know this, Jesus brings everything that we need. See, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see that there are many uh, festivals and celebrations. Uh, last week, we went to the Old Testament, kind of a different place to go for Christmas. It was Genesis chapter 3. But for those that heard the message, you recognize that the moment man and woman fell, the moment Adam and Eve fell, God was providing a rescue plan. And he didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. He came to our aid immediately. And I want you just to remember that you serve and love a tenacious God who loves you. And he loves you because he loves you. It's not with an if. It's not with a because. He loves you because he loves you. And what you find then when you go to the Old Testament, you find out that God commanded his people to celebrate. He commanded his people to have festivals. He told his people to spend their time 
to spend the best of their time, the best of their energy, the best of their resources to celebrate. And so in the Old Testament, you're going to find these annual celebrations where the people would gather together and they would invest in in just thanking God for what he had done and how God had delivered them, how God had rescued them, and how God was so faithful to them. So how much more should we do that today? We are gospel people. We are new covenant people. We are people who live in the light of Jesus Christ. I know this for sure, that the Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs looked forward to this time, the time that you live with probably an envy, a jealousy, a godly jealousy, that you would be the people that would experience what they could only hope for and look forward to. We're looking back and saying, Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming in the flesh as a child and growing up without sin and laying your life down as a sacrifice and atonement for us and then raising again on the third day to give us everlasting life. We know this. We experience this. In the Old Testament, they could only hope. They could only look forward to it. We get to live it. And we have celebrations that remind us that we are gospel people. You heard in the announcements, uh, Christmas Eve, we're going to be here on December 24th. It's a beautiful time. It's our candlelight services. We're going to be here on uh, Monday night from 4 to uh, a 4 o'clock service and a 5.30 service. And I just want to remind you that that is one one of those times that we really love to just celebrate. We have candles and we have kids and we have fun and we have songs Uh, We go about 45 minutes, and then we we let you loose to go spend time uh, with your family. So I just want to encourage you, bring family and friends. If you're hosting a a Christmas Eve uh, party at your house or a gathering at your house, just bring everybody over. I know Annette and I love to do that with our family. So we want to celebrate what God has done for us, and we want to introduce people to Jesus, especially this time of year. Um, I love talking about Jesus every day of the week. Uh, whenever I have an opportunity or a choice uh, to, 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 to give somebody a good message, a good word, uh, I want them to know about Jesus. And the reason I want them to know that is because Jesus has changed my life. And when Jesus changes our lives, we can talk about that. Uh, we know that he's still at work in us. And we just thank him for his salvation. Because this good news is for all people. This good news is not exclusive. This good news is not segregated. This good news is for all people, all time, everywhere that has ever drawn breath. And that's how much God loves people. It's not just for us, but it's for all people. See, in this series leading up to Christmas, we're talking about the great expectation And for those that might not have caught it before, we're talking about a great expectation, and it really has to do with two in one. It has to do with the great expectation of a Messiah coming. His name would be called Jesus. He would be the Son of God. And there was that expectation, especially in the Old Testament, when they they heard the prophets foretelling, there was an expectation of a Messiah to come. And so what we do this time of year is we have that expectation that Christ will show up in our lives, that Jesus will do wonderful things, and that you would expect that. That you would posture your heart, your emotions, your soul, your spirit. That you would posture yourself to be an expecting person. That you would open the doors of your heart and your mind to say, Jesus, come. Come and 
speak to me and teach me and lead me. So there's that expectation, but there's also the expectation, the early church would say this, Maranatha, Maranatha. That means he's coming. He's coming again. So he came as a humble child. He'll come again as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And really, Advent is about both. It's about the arrival of both. And that's really what Advent means. It means arrivals. It means coming. This week's message is titled, From Slavery to Freedom. And that's really wrapped in so well into the Advent message. It's the whole idea and the truth of once being a slave and now being free, that Jesus came to set you free. That Jesus came to set me free. And to understand this, you have to understand the culture and the time that Jesus was born. You have to know a little bit of history. And some of you know this, but it was about God's people, the Jews. They were living under Roman oppression. And God's people were living as slaves in their own land. And they had been living this way for quite some time. Uh, And then they they were hoping and they were expecting for a Messiah, someone to come and set them free. And this was part of their daily conversation. Now, can you imagine that? I I don't know if any of us can fully embrace what this was like, but to be able to talk around the table as a Jewish family in that day would, it wouldn't be very long when they would sit down that a conversation would come up about a Messiah coming. And they kept this, this alive. They kept this hope alive. They kept talking about a Savior that would set them free, that would free them from, from their oppression. And they longed for God to show up. They longed for God to rescue them and put an end to Roman occupation. And this was the world that Jesus was born into. God's people were crying out. They were waiting to hear from God for 400 years. Imagine this. For 400 years. You see, the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. He's a minor prophet. And the first book in the New Testament is Matthew. But between the two are what is known as the 400 silent years, where there was no voice of a prophet heard. There was no one crying out in the wilderness. There was no one saying, he's coming. It was 400 years of of deafening silence. 400 years of silence. So one of the ways they would keep hope alive in every year is they would have this celebration. And this celebration was called the Passover. And at the Passover, they would remind each other that God had rescued and delivered them from the slavery of Egypt. And that God would also rescue them again through a Messiah that would come. So Passover was specifically set aside to acknowledge that they needed to be rescued. In our lives, we sometimes forget that and to think of Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb and to acknowledge that, I think, every day to be able to say, I'm one that needs to be rescued. I've been rescued. I've been rescued, but I need to be rescued. And if you don't need to be rescued now, you will need to be rescued sometime in the near future. And it's the Passover lamb that was brought up and spoken of and celebrated with intricacies and with detail and with passion and with resources and with money and everything. They would get together and they would put on this incredible festival. So they would celebrate what God had done and expect 
that one day God would rescue them again. You know, the Exodus story tells us that they, they had been slaves for 400 years. Isn't that interesting? Now, think about that just for a moment. 400 years of silence they're in, and they were in 400 years of slavery. I don't know. The math of God is always unique. There's something happening here. There's something that God is up to. 400 years they waited for God to show up, and then Moses comes on the scene in Egypt. 400 years of slavery. And Moses, who's known as their deliverer, uh, comes on to the scene after quite a, a trial in life that led up to this moment. And then he goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And as a result of Pharaoh's stubbornness and hard-heartedness, there were ten plagues that were cast upon the land. And uh, you can go into Exodus and read about those plagues. Uh, oh, they were hideous and what happened to those people. You had ten plagues and then the Exodus, the Passover, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and then the manna from heaven. Does anybody know what the word manna means? <laughs> it's simple. Uh, in Hebrew, it just means, what is that? That's what it means. It's just simple. If you've never heard it, I mean, can you imagine this white, fluffy stuff falling from heaven, and it's not snowing? It's 100 degrees in the desert. What would you say? You would say, what is that? And that's how it got its name. It's, it's really a nickname. Manna, what is that? But God nourished his people through that manna. And the first conquest, the first conquest of the children of Israel was the falling of the walls of Jericho. Notice how he did it <clears throat> uniquely. Uh, he did it differently there than he, than he did in any other conquest. In fact, it was the first conquest. And he said, you boys, just stand aside, play some music, march around a little bit, and I'm going to show you the kind of God that I am that delivered you and is going to continue to deliver you and set you free. This is what it's going to look like for you in the future. Isn't that amazing? But, but, he, but he said, you got to keep your hands off this one because I'm going to take care of you. Later on, of course, they had to pick up the sword and the spear, and they, they had to fight. But this was one God says, man, this is your initiation, man. This is your initiation into the promised land, new life. This is your initiation into freedom and what freedom looks like. And as the story is told, when Passover takes place and the celebration happens, the children of Israel are not just remembering what God did but also expecting what God would do. <clears throat> Moses writes some things to us, and he does so in the book of Deuteronomy, and he's writing and he's talking to us about the exploits of God and the, 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 the instructions to God's people, and he has these conversations with God, and there's this beautiful, beautiful thing that happens in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 17 through 19, and it says this, and this is Moses writing this down. He said, the, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my word in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. 
Please understand this like Genesis 3.15 was a prophetic insight into what Jesus would do and who he would be. This is the same. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, this is a foretelling of a Messiah that was going to come that would actually do some of the things that Moses was known for doing and that was to be a deliverer, to be a savior, to set people free from their slavery. And this Messiah would come and set people free of the slavery of sin in their life. Imagine that. Long before Jesus ever comes, God's making a way. And he speaks to us so clearly in this passage of Scripture. Again, remember Genesis 3.15. He speaks to the evil one and he says, You will bruise his heel on Friday and he will crush your head on Sunday. That's the way this is going down. That's the way this is going to happen. And so he speaks again through Moses, and he says there will be a deliverer. There will be a prophet savior that will come. This is good news. This is a Christmas message that's wrapped into the Old Testament that you go and you look and you find and you see God up to good things. So this prophet, this savior, he will come like Moses, and like Moses, he will deliver his people. And the people of Jesus' day, uh, they were waiting for a prophet like Moses. They were told to wait with expectation for a prophet like Moses. And so, how are Moses and Jesus alike? I mean, if you compare their lives, uh, you start out from the very beginning. Notice how they were born into the world. Very similar circumstances, weren't they? People under oppression. People living as slaves to another dominion, a stronghold. The people in the Old Testament were slaves to Egypt. The people in the New Testament were slaves to the Romans. And what happens is both kings of those days made a decree. They issued a decree that all baby Jewish boys would be killed. And it's under that murderous spirit, the Paul that was over the land at that time, that Moses is, 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 is put into a reed boat, a grass boat. Jesus in a grass manger. And here they are, the deliverers. One was Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 1. The other was Herod in Matthew chapter 2. And I, I would venture to say if you just kept the names hidden... If you were just to describe the time, both would not be distinguishable. That if you were just to say they were in slavery and this is what was going on in the land at that time, this was part of the culture at that time, and you didn't say if it was Moses or Jesus, you wouldn't know which was which. This is God's foretelling. It's his prophetic word. He's operating here. He's operating with tenacity to get to you. You see, he's, he's, he's going to, to, to no expense. I mean, all this gracious, amazing love. The people were looking for a prophet that would be like Moses. And so you have to see what's happening here. John the Baptist raises up. Are you following? This is kind of a timeline here. He raises up a cousin of Jesus. And he starts preaching in the wilderness He's a little odd. He's a little different. Most prophets are. But he was. And he starts saying, make way for the Lord. Make way for the Lord. And people would follow him. 
And then people would ask him, are you that guy? Are you the one? Look at John chapter 1, verse 21. It says, and they asked him, John the Baptist, they asked John, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. And then they say, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now, I want you to notice something. In in most of your Bibles, you'll see a connotation down at the bottom or to the side. And that line that says, are you the prophet? They're referring to Deuteronomy 18.18. They knew their history. They knew what this was about. They held on to this for centuries. What they're asking is, are you the prophet? Like Moses, are you the prophet that Moses talked about? And he says, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not that guy. I'm not even, he's in another class. He's in another, he's another level. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, the dust off his feet. That, that, I'm not. And you go down a little bit further in that account in John chapter 1, and you see these, these dynamics starting to unfold because the hearts of young are being stirred, young disciples. They're, they're going, this must be him. Our moms and dads and our grandmas and grandpas and our aunts and uncles have talked about him. And then they start to buy into this. You have a couple brothers that buy into this. And you, you have this place where Philip is so excited because he, he knows this is the Messiah. He knows this is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. And what does he do? He says, oh, i got to tell somebody. i got to tell my brother Nathaniel. And so he runs and actually uses that same phrase later in that chapter. He says, the prophet, the one Moses spoke of, the first deliverer, The second deliverer has come. Jesus, the Son of God, has come. Can can you imagine the excitement of that day that they found the Messiah, one that was like Moses? The people have been waiting, and they've been waiting for the Messiah. I want you to look at Luke chapter 4, because this is the inauguration of, of, of the ministry of Jesus. And so up to this point for Oh, about 30 years, what he's done has been relatively quiet. But now he comes on to the scene, and he comes on to the scene, and when he comes on to the scene, you're not holding anything back here. I mean, Jesus comes on to the scene, he bursts on, where does he show up? He shows up in a synagogue where every good Jew that day, that Saturday, was. they were reading from the same passage of Scripture, by the way, it's kind of like our devotions when you look at them, you think we all read together. They, all good Jews, were reading this passage of Scripture that day. And then they would stand up and they would, they would read Scripture in the synagogue. And here's what Luke 4, 18 and 19 say. And Jesus picked up the scroll and it said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's reciting out of the book of Isaiah. He's repeating what the other prophets had been saying since Moses This is what he's going to look like. And Jesus steps up that day. This is the first public sermon that begins his ministry. And he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. By the way, this was 700 years prior. Was this written? 
700 years had gone by. We have no reference point in this nation for that. It's about Jesus. It speaks of his virgin birth, the miracles of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah talks in detail, graphic detail, on what his death would look like. It turns the stomach. It almost makes you want to look away because of the detail that the prophet Isaiah brings to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. This passage has, again, been read before by other religious leaders. This wasn't the first time. And after being read, the the leader that would read it would give an explanation. It was kind of a homily, a sermon. You would read that. You were known in the community, so you you, you would explain what was just read. And I can't imagine, you know, probably several of them went on for a long, long time. That's kind of what preachers will do at times. They do. And, and, and so there's an explanation, and it would tell the people that me, that me that's being spoken of here in this passage, is the Messiah. That is the Messiah. So what happens? Jesus reads this, and, and look at what he does here, what he says and what he does. In chapter 4, verse 20a, it says, and then he rolled up the scroll. Imagine this. He reads it, and he rolls up the scroll. There was an attendant by. He handed the scroll to the attendant. And what does he do? He sits down. And I'm thinking, if I'm present, I would be saying, is that it? I mean, that's, let's go home, man. There's soup waiting, because that was the shortest sermon I have ever heard in my life. Some of you would appreciate that, but that's what was going on here. It was like he just, he just sits down. He doesn't say say anything else. Jesus just sits down and this awkward silence kind of settles over this group hearing these words. And then you look at chapter 4, 20b and 21a and it says, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They were enthralled. They were captured. They were fastened. And it says, and he began by saying to them, they are all waiting for Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Look at the latter part of verse 21. It says this, today, listen to this, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You want to cause a stir in a synagogue? Do that. Because what Jesus says is this scripture, the one I just read, is happening right now. And you're watching it. It is being fulfilled in me. I am the one sent from heaven. I am the Messiah. I am the one who will set you free. So so here's what you have. You have Jesus like Moses. Moses came to set people free from their physical bondage by saying, let my people go. Let my people go. Jesus comes to set people free from their spiritual bondage. Moses, again, he stands before Pharaoh and he says, let them go. Let my people go. Jesus stands before sin and death and he says on our behalf, let my people go. 
I will conquer sin and death. Let my people go. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because it's that day, Jesus declared he's the one. He is the new Moses. And he's setting people free from that point to this of all of our sin. The slavery of sin in our own lives. You know, I I know that it's hard at times to say sin, that I'm in sin. We, We might say, well, you know, I'm struggling right now. You know, we... I'm having a hard time right now, and, and, and it's hard to confess maybe that it's really about sin in our lives. And uh, we, we don't always identify it like that. I think most of us probably don't. And so how, how do you know that you're a slave? I mean, how, how do you know that you're a slave to sin? Well, I, I have a few things here that might help us because they've helped me. Uh, number one is this. You, you know you're a slave to sin when you keep doing it despite negative consequences. <laughs> That, that, that's one of the ways you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the it for you. I don't know what the it is in, in, in your life. But, but you keep doing it despite negative consequences, consequences. So how much your pride is costing you to stop and think. How much is my anger costing me? How much is my greed costing me? I keep doing it, and every time I do it, it's like I want different results, but I don't get different results. The consequences are devastating. Every time I maybe fly off at the handle, I'm hoping things will change around me, but they'll never change around you until they change in you. And so I think this is one way I I know, and I'm just throwing this out to you, that I, I know that I'm a slave to sin as I keep doing it despite negative consequences. And that we're trapped in there. Here's another one. Number two is you don't feel like yourself when you try to stop. Whatever that it is, it becomes part of your identity. It not only is what you do, it's almost become who you are. And, 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 and that's a horrible place to be. It's, it's awful. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe... Maybe that's been uh, uh, something cast on you where even uh, in family, and I know family, sometimes that's the hardest one to break from because, see, my brothers and my sister know me since I was a kid, and when I get older, they, they just see the little slightest little indications where I I'm, I'm maybe have, I'm showing up that sin again, and oh, there it is. There it is. Man, I didn't even say anything. Yeah, but I saw the expression on your face. I, I, knew, I knew you were going to do that. Have you, you've heard that? You know, what is that? That's that, kind of that bondage, isn't it, that, that you've been cast that way. And I know Jesus sets us free from that, but sometimes that happens in family. Um, that it's, it's harder to break free, but Jesus does that. So, so this is our, that people know us by this, and it's something that God can change. This isn't who you are. It might be something you've done, but it isn't who you are because you're Identity is found in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer, your identity is found in him. And I know that people have found themselves trapped because their sinful desires become who they are. Uh, Paul explains it pretty well for us in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. It says this, But thanks be to God that through you used to be slaves to sin... 
Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, and that's Jesus Christ. My allegiance is in him. And it's when my allegiance is in him that my identity actually is forged in him. That now I am like Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Put on the new mind. Put on the mind of Christ. That's how identity gets changed. There's no other way that identity gets changed. There isn't. It's only through Jesus Christ. People try a lot of different ways to get their identity changed, especially if it was a, <clears throat> a, a, a lack of... A, integrity or character or whatever it is they, they might try to pursue something to get that identity changed I know uh, some of the guys that I knew uh, their identity was found in their athletic exploits and that's what they were known for but I'm going to tell you that only lasts for a season because your bones get old your fingers get old your head get everything gets old and you can't do that anymore where's your identity and that's why you have a lot of these young athletes in their 20s and 30s searching for themselves because it's over and they can't find it it's only in Jesus Christ Galatians 4, 7 says this. So you are no longer a slave. I love it when it says that. Would you underline that maybe? And if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, go ahead and underline. I'm no longer a slave. Say that. I'm no longer a slave. But I'm God's child. That's who I'm known as. I'm known as God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. <laughs> Why would he bring you into the family and not give you all the benefits? You know what I'm saying? Even if earthly fathers, good employers, bring you in and say, wow, we're giving you a piece of the action here. You can get into the stock market with us. You, we'll, we'll pay for your medical benefits. All of those kinds of things. What Jesus says, what God says to you is you're one of his children and now you have all the benefits of eternal life. Wow. Man, I signed on a big package. This is big. For those baseball players out, this is bigger than Manny Machado is going to sign in the next couple weeks. $300 million blows my mind. I don't know. Here's another thing. You work hard to keep it a secret. You don't want people to see that. There's shame involved. Remember last week we talked about how shame causes us to run away from God as opposed to running to God. And I, I think that's where we can all take inventory. I think that's something we can all look at. Where in my life am I not running to him? Where am I running away from him? Because that is what shame does. Shame wants to isolate you. How many know that um, shame wants to get you off over here, and that's the, the, the toy room, the work workshed of Satan? You know, he gets you by yourself because you can be your worst enemy. Right up here. And so there's this isolation and you, you don't want people to know. You're so ashamed of that. But here's the reality. The reality is God knows and he hasn't kicked you out. Can I say, you're still in the club of heaven, if you want to call it that. You haven't been kicked out because he won't kick you out. What, what he desires as a, as a father is for you to run to him. Remember we talked last week of how God the Father must have had a broken heart when he went to look for his children after they sinned and they were 
trying to hide. The creation trying to hide from the creator, that's pretty crazy thinking. But we think crazy things. He says, run to me. Run to me. I'm the author and finisher of your faith. And then here's another thing that you might want to throw into the mix here. You turn to it to deal with it. Whatever stresses are in life, whatever things are happening, that's where you go. That's where you turn. You go there and really not to the God of heaven and earth. You go there. Uh, When the stress of life mounts up, it might be whatever the it is for you. I don't know. Shopping, eating, drinking, drugging. What is it? That's where we go when stress hits. I want to take you back again to Exodus Exodus 6, 6, um, it says this. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. Jesus is now the one who has stretched his arms out nailed to the cross and has done a thorough, complete, redeeming thing for you and me. That's what this is about. This is what Advent is about. It's saying, wow, look what you did. Lord, look what you did by becoming flesh. And and look at all the stories in the Old Testament that point us in your direction. And now in the Gospels pointed to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming soon. He's coming to deliver us once and from for all who call on the name of the Lord. Because there is no other name that men and women are saved by but the great name of Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? This morning, in just a moment, we're going to invite our uh, care teams to come forward to pray for, for anyone who needs prayer today. And if you need prayer today, I just want you to just be invited to do that. Know that, that you're welcomed. Um, but, I, but I also want to do this. If, if you're here today and, um, and you haven't experienced that freedom uh, from the slavery, the tyranny of sin in your life, and it's because you haven't experienced Jesus really in your life. You haven't, you haven't gone to him and asked for him to forgive you and ask him to be the Lord in your life. You can do that today. You can do that. You can change the trajectory of your life through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And, and if you want to do that today, I'm going to just ask you to do this. I want you to go to those prayer teams and just say, hey, pray for salvation. That's all you have to do. Pray for, sal- pray for salvation in my life. And, uh, and these, these wonderful people will do that. And, and I want you to know that you're invited into something that's amazing, something that is so uh, transformative. It, it, it changes who we are. Our identity is no longer what it used to be. Our identity is no longer our sin. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. And we, th- we thank the Lord for that. Father, I just thank you today for your great grace and that you have showed us 
You've showed us in the, the, the realities of the Old Testament and the New Testament of how you prepared a way. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and we look again, there are many other places, but we look again at Deuteronomy 18, 18, and we fast forward it, and we recognize that in John 1 and Luke 4, you're making it happen. It's coming to fruition. It's bearing fruit for today, this day, Lord Jesus, that day, the, the, the law, everything was complete in you. You are the one. You are the Messiah. And so, Lord, I pray for many of us here today that we might just be just struggling right now with the it, that you would give us victory in Jesus' name, whatever that is. Father, we just thank you for your grace and your life. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.